0: taking the conversation from your turntable to this podcast. Welcome, Welcome in, to in to the Vinyl Community, Community Podcasts. Podcast. Welcome back, buddies. It's Concert Buddy. The episode that you're about to put eyes and ears on is what I'm calling Collecting from the Inside. I had the great fortune to talk to a fellow member of the YouTube vinyl community and record collector over at the channel Fidelio's Frequency. Arnaldo is a veteran, a long-time employee worker in the music industry for one of the major record labels, and so we got to cover a lot of topics from YouTube, his experience, he's only been doing it a few months, shared trials and tribulations, and not only YouTube, but also record collecting as a whole, but then The real crux, the real joy that I had in this conversation was talking about working with passion, be it the passion you have in the work you do, passion for who you work for, passion for the work that you do on a daily basis in many forms. And I found this conversation very enlightening for me personally my shared experiences with Arnaldo and vice versa. So hopefully that translates well to you and provides value insight information all that kind of stuff entertainment for your entertainment purposes now that said if you're seeing this you're obviously seeing it on the concert buddy youtube channel thank you for making the time to watch this but also as a reminder you can take the audio only version of this episode with you cheap plug on the vinyl community podcast feed it's essentially content, how you want to listen to it, when you want to listen to it, where you want to listen to it. Same conversations, just in a more mobile, agile form to consume when you want to. What could be better? Anyway, buddies, this is a great conversation. I had a lot of fun talking with Arnaldo. Hopefully it translates well to you and makes you think about working with passion in general. We shall see. Anyway, let's get into it, buddies. I am joined by Mr fidelio's frequency himself arnaldo arnaldo if you're familiar with the vinyl community arnaldo has a new relatively newer channel you've been doing it six months arnaldo no
1: not not even i think it was the first video i uploaded may have been the end of november
0: okay awesome so great way to kick it off what has your experience been like so far it's been very positive
1: and I want to say a bit stressful. I tend to be a perfectionist. So, um, I want to have, I'm trying to pick the right content, uh, that, that might be of interest to other viewers. I'm trying to pick the content that will attract, um, new viewers and varied, you know, uh, viewers from different backgrounds uh, with different tastes. So, uh, yeah, I guess, Probably because I am a newbie uh, in the VC, I am still doing a lot of homework, watching you know other channels, um, whether people that have been doing it for much longer, like the veterans that are doing it for five or plus years, and also the new ones, you know the recent channels especially yours, um, to see their their journey, how they're how they're progressing and uh because i cringe if i i I would cringe if i have to look back at my first video even though it was like three months ago so yeah that those are my first impressions right now but Mm -hmm. overall it's been positive um i want to say i've gotten some good feedback uh some from either peers in the vc community or from members that you know just started subscribing to my channel um very nice comments um people that are learning about things that they didn't know about and people recommending you know their um you know their suggestions their their picks because i did a video on you know your year end. almost everyone did it your year-end 2022 top albums you know and it was nice to hear what other people also liked and that i may have missed you know because it's there's so much music out there that it's really hard to listen to everything so I, you know, some people gave me heads up on things
0: that I went and I checked out and I really liked. That's, to me, is one of the great things about the spirit of the vinyl community is exactly what you said is um, the info share, the best practices about doing the videos, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's one of those things that fills my cup, right? Um, Why did you choose to, and uh, to level set for the audience, too, we're not just going to talk about YouTube. The real reason I had Arnaldo come on is arlando has a background actually working in the music industry and we'll get into that working i, I don't want to take words out of your mouth working close to your passion or right? a passion in your life and and that's kind of the theme for the the, the centerpiece of the talk but um just kicking off with youtube because obviously that's where you can find arnaldo over at fidelio's frequency uh first thing what how'd you come up with that name
1: well we're going way back to, I think it was 1999 or probably year
0: 2000. Hit the way back machine. Um, Let's go.
1: Yeah. When Gmail first started Oh. and a friend of mine said, oh yeah, I've been using Gmail. He was like ahead of everybody. Like no one knew what Gmail was yet. There was no Google, right? People right. were still doing... Yahoo searches. Yahoo. <laughs> <and like that. laughs>
0: so uh MetaCrawler, you remember those? Oh, those oh my goodness. Uh, Netscape, AOL, and right. I am, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, Apple. yeah. So, Sorry, we the, the olds, the olds are talking here, guys. Sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were beating <laughs> ourselves. So my friend was like, Yeah, I have a Gmail. I was like, What's a Gmail? I was like, Oh yeah, just it's a new account. Sign up. And around that time, I was like, Okay, I have to pick something that's going to be cool because my other emails is my first name, last name. So boring. And I have a very first name and last, a very long first name. So I'm like, I'm going to pick something shorter uh, and maybe a little bit anonymous. So I was, I had just watched and I loved it. The Stanley Kubrick movie. uh, Eyes wide shut. Nicole
0: Kidman and Tom Cruise. Yes. Yes. The masks. And yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. The password to go to the party was (laughs) Fidelio which is um, the name of an opera. Yes, and okay. And I loved that idea. And my, here I'm giving away part of my Gmail account. <laughs> uh, it has the word <laughs> Fidelio in it. Well, it's oh. kind of obvious because even my channel now is called Fidelio. Sure, sure. And um, I wanted to do a word play on Fidelio and um, someone very close to me when I was you know, brainstorming suggested why don't you try fidelio's frequency since you're going to be doing a channel do fidelio's frequency and i'm like that sounds really nice so there you go
0: perfect no it's a, a great explanation i think uh two things uh eyes wide shut if you're going to go out and rent that or watch it on a streamer it's an interesting movie uh there there's there's a, a lot of questionable content and i'm just going to leave it at that for the young audience
1: <laughs> yeah that's why i called it a party
0: <laughs> you did well you did well but i gotta love it because i don't want to get these these reviews on on the podcast saying we, we took my child to watch this on netflix and i can't believe that <laughs> concert right. buddy and arnaldo recommended this movie but anyways you know you gotta you gotta cover all bases i'm telling of you.
1: course yeah but,
0: but anyway so okay that's cool about the name so then what i was about to kick off with was why decide to do videos like have you been watching vinyl community content uh, on YouTube for a decent amount of time. Like what was the inspiration to then going to the other side of the camera? Well,
1: I started watching initially, uh, I want to say during the pandemic. So it was about three years ago, I started watching because everyone was home and everyone was buying vinyl. You have so much more free time on your hands to do internet searches and stuff like that. So I, I started looking and researching, you know, vinyl shootouts. And I started subscribing to a few channels. I can mention them or not if you want, but we can progress on that. Um, I think maybe Mike Ingrove was one of the first channels that started doing all these shootouts. So I guess he was one of the first channels I subscribed to. Then along came Michael45. And I think um, the guy you had a few days ago on your channel.
0: Oh, Robert Fithin. Robert.
1: Yes. yes. Thank you. I forgot, I forgot the name of his channel. He's... In, in my long list of he surprises.
0: actually he, he's, very so, he's very brave he's very brave his channel just his own name Robert Fifthen like he's he's inviting it no anonymity okay okay
1: okay <laughs> so yeah and I was fine watching because here I was learning you know I was learning about different music I was learning about different vinyl pressings until through Michael Forty Five I stumbled across Rachel's Ghost and started joining and watching, tuning into her live stream in the morning. I want to say probably six or eight months ago.
0: Okay.
1: And after spending, you know, your time in the peanut gallery and sometimes (laughs) commenting, sometimes, you know, and sometimes just reading and watching and having fun, um, I took the courage and I inquired with Rachel, you know, what? how do you go on a panel? And then I got on, I mustered the courage to get on the panel and as soon as i was on already a couple of people were asking what's the name of your channel and i was just like saying no i don't have a channel and rachel asked me are you ever going to do a challenge you ever think about it? i was like well if i find something that i can contribute to the community maybe i'll make a video or two and the opportunity came along um it was actually kind of like let me try this the reverend um put out a uh, month ago yeah he was asking people to talk about records that meant something um to him and I was like you know what I want to talk about a
0: record that meant something to me so that's how it all started before we get into collecting what what would you say are your I wouldn't say your Mount Rushmore of channels but you already hit on the channels that you watched before getting into this but now that you're into this what are the ones that uh, you definitely feel like you're leaning into the most right now you can always change but right now Um, Yes, I forgot another one, and now it's going to come up because it's one of the channels that I always watch.
1: Uh, Westman um, is another channel that I watch, um, and became almost—he was actually one of the first uh, that engaged um, with me um, Hmm. through his either Facebook, uh, his um, his analog, uh, is it Analog Productions uh, group on facebook or the buy and sell yeah there
0: there is one of those i think i'm yeah. it's like a, it's like a mofi like group and or there's two of like them that.
1: there's the mofi and i think there's also an analog productions one um so yeah definitely and steve actually um is my very first subscriber so oh. I, I was very honored that you know uh he was my very first uh subscriber and then, um, Steve, course, if
0: you want to subscribe to me,
1: it's okay. It's a safe water. Just <laughs> uh, and then, uh, of course, Mazzy, um, sure. it's a wealth of, you know, of knowledge, uh, from a musical point of view that there's, you know, so much music that now I realize I'm like, oh my God, all this stuff that he talks about, I have no idea who they are. Sure. A lot of them. And uh, there's a lot, you know, I don't want to leave anyone out. Because no,
0: no, 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 no. That's a good we can We can transition from there because to your point, and that's why I said the Mount Rushmore, I, I, I really, I'll probably abuse the Mount Rushmore analogy. I just, because that's like four, right? But, but yeah, to your point, if you asked me the same question, I, I would exactly, I would feel bad about leaving because it's not an omission thing. It's just, no, there's, there's so much, because, right?
1: Yeah. Like I would, like I was telling you, it's like my list of subscription now is becoming longer and longer and longer. And right. I may not be able to get to everyone's video in a timely manner because Definitely. there's like a lot of them now that to watch because they're all very interesting. You know, that I want to, ch- and Melinda and, and Michael 45, there's like, there's a lot of them out there. So um, everyone, I, I try and take and listen and watch a little bit from everyone, not take, I mean, learn and improve either the way I make videos or, You know even learning about music i try and and explore everything yeah
0: well you know there is that saying was it talent borrows genius steals so it's okay if you find (laughs) it's okay if you find something that works and, and you know introduce it into your own video making
1: i mean i don't know if there's anyone um that is truly original that has truly original content um there's people that visually are very beautiful videos and people that are okay you know, in terms of quality, but they have great content. So, uh, you know, I'm equal opportunity employer. You want to call me equal opportunity
0: (laughs) consumer. I appreciate that. Yeah, Cool. Well, let's, let's talk about collecting, right? So obviously that's kind of what brought you to this dance was music and collecting. And I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but record collecting seems to be kind of where you go, I, I, don't, I don't know if you collect other, other physical formats, CDs probably, maybe yeah. some cassettes, talk about that. What, first of all, how, overall, how big is your collection size?
1: I haven't had a count recently, okay. but the last time I counted, um, anywhere between 2200 and
0: 2500. And percentage-wise, how much is that as vinyl, would you say?
1: Oh, that's just the vinyl oh yeah i'm not i didn't count the cds okay okay
0: uh
1: there's probably another two thousand cds probably Uh, i mean they overlap there's things that i have on cd then i have on vinyl too and things that i only have on cd um cassettes not that much i was never i don't even have a cassette deck so i never really much of a consumer of cassettes got
0: it how Um, long have you how long have you been collecting because if you have a collection that size my assumption is you're not like some of us who jumped formats over the years you know like when rec- records went out jumped all into cds and cds went. you know what i mean so it feels like you've you've held on to a lot of it consistently for the most part fair to say yeah i was i
1: think the first record um that i picked i didn't even buy with my own money was when i was maybe it was 1973 so i was like maybe six years
0: old Um, Hang on. We got to do the math because we have your email and now we can figure out your age (laughs) or not. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I'm older than you. So, um, yeah, I want to say from the age of five, I've always been attracted to vinyl. Uh, Initially it was just 45s. Then um, your album came along. Then there was Kiss and I was all in on buying Kiss records. Then I slowly evolved into more kind of at that point i my family had moved to europe to italy so i was exposed to a lot more um alternative new wave uk bands and stuff like that it's always been purchasing vinyl up until i want to say i think the first cd i bought was in 1987 when the beatles came out i bought Sgt. pepper that was my very first um purchase on cd and i think i was still buying vinyl all the way through probably 1991. Then I think I made a hard stop. I moved back to the States and for, um, ease of, you know, the, the, I want to say that the CD is a much easier format to store and to carry around to manage. Yeah, sure. Right. And to manage. So at that point also, because living in New York, you don't have a lot of space. So it was, it was easier to collect CDs. And plus, the industry was also changing quite a bit. So I would say mid 90s all the way through uh, 2000, I want to say 2008, I was
0: buying mostly CDs. And do you have an area or a genre that you naturally gravitate to more than others, or maybe a certain artist, or, or like, where are your areas of focus when it comes to collecting? uh all all across the board i would say
1: only in the last year and a half i started dipping my toes into jazz um which was a genre that i had not willingly had not wanted to enter because i didn't think i had the um sensibility the musical sensibility to appreciate it sure so yeah i had kind of blue i had uh sketches of spain I had, you know, your your mainstays of your mile of your Miles Davis, but other Blue than Train, that,
0: that kind of stuff, right? I didn't even have Blue Train. Oh, so,
1: okay, okay. Yeah, up until like maybe a year and a half ago, um, when I asked a friend of mine who's got an immense knowledge of music <laughs> and knows quite a bit about jazz, I'm like, "Hey, will you do me a favor. I'm gonna send you." I sent him a bunch of, I think four or five different top lists from various publications um he really didn't need that because i asked him like hey can you come just compile a list of a hundred albums to start off a jazz collection with so you know um i started off but with those but i veered off quite a bit because i started liking realizing what i liked which 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 were the um artists the types of jazz that i started liking and then I kind of to venture off and dig a little deeper, you know, into Coltrane, into
0: Miles and stuff like that. No, I think it's a very similar journey from a lot of collectors I've talked to about it. Because, again, very similar to you. I knew of jazz. I knew like the very, very high level. I knew being in the Midwest from St. Louis, Miles Davis grew up in East St. Louis. So it's obviously Miles is real big here. But yeah, same exact, exact journey you're talking about is I knew of it interested, but there was still, I still wasn't sure how to exactly what was that entry point? How was I going to, but it seems like you have a jazz guy or gal. I have a, a jazz person in my life. So I think that helps kind of broker, oh, totally. break that barrier. Right. Because yeah. then you at least feel like you can bounce off quote unquote, dumb questions <laughs> to somebody and not feel judged and not feel because, you know, gatekeep it gatekeep or if that's the word, right.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I like to do the same, to pay it forward when someone asks me, cause I, here we go back to what are the main genres that I have, that I listen to, it would have to be rock. Uh, and I want to say eighties onwards, um, alternative indie, that kind of music is the music that I initially gravitated towards. Um, so yeah, that I would say, but of course there's, there's soul there. I like a little bit of country. Okay. Hard Rock, you know, how can you not forget Kiss? <laughs> well, I was going to say,
0: are you a member of the Kiss Army, Arnaldo? No,
1: I was uh, actually... <laughs> when I when I was the, the biggest Kiss fan, I was never a member of the Army. I actually just... Um, out of curiosity, um, and it's nowhere close to it. Uh, I think I want to say maybe 10 years ago, they had some kind of offer, and I subscribed to it, and they sent a pin and, you know, whatever. It's not it's nothing compared to what they used to send. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I finally got to appreciate what actually they used to send because I never subscribed back in the 70s. When I bought a um, deluxe version of De- of uh, Destroyer, sure. they replicated the entire package that would go out to all the KISS Army members. So that was kind of cool. So kind of like, you know, a little dream come true, like 40 years later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So getting into the meat and potatoes of, yeah. of this conversation is good segues, love music, deep collector. You're really, you know, equal opportunity consumer, equal equal genre consumer, like we talked about before. But you actually work in the industry. So tell us about high level, what you do, and is it something that you were drawn to? outside? Obviously, we all have bills to pay and that sort of thing. Was it something that you're like, I want to work close to something I'm passionate about, or did it just kind of happen by happenstance
1: no, it was actually intentional um, again I asked myself the same question after graduating from grad school uh, I decided well i'm in I live in New York City uh, what better place to not further my passion about music um, and armed with a graduate degree i figured i'm like yeah i guess it could be a good entry card uh to do you know or get close to that environment and it did it gave me actually a foot in the door because i have a background in finance okay and i actually started off um i gravitated it was the first foot in the door that i had in uh auditing royalties so i was on the side of the artist I was for the good guys auditing the labels, <laughs> the bad guys <laughs> who, <weren't, Yeah. laughs> who supposedly weren't being fair to the artist. Um, so I did that for a few years and unfortunately got tempted by the devil and moved over to the label side, um, where I did royalties. but I always tried to keep it honest and make sure that the artist got paid what was right, you know sure what, sure, sure not, not trying not make any because a lot of let's let's be very clear i'm gonna have to actually not i just want to be honest about the fact that everyone makes mistakes labels makes make mistakes if an artist was underpaid most likely it's due to a system mistake or a human error that Mm -hmm. calculated something it's not
0: diabolical plan it's not diabolical
1: intentional now if the intention we're talking going way back um to the 60s, 70s, even 50s, the way agreements and contracts were, with artists were structured, maybe there was a different mentality back then. Um, sure. And you could say the same thing about the movie industry, right? Of course. Of um, course. Back in the 20s and 30s, art, um, actors were contract actors and they had That's to do right. a number of films. Nowadays, that would be unheard of. It's like everyone has a chunk, has a piece of the pie. You know, now they don't even like big stars don't in the back even. the right. Yep. No, not even the, it's not in the back end. They have, they have a piece of the profit instead of a fixed salary. It's like, uh, I want 10% of everything you generate, merchandise, theater, streaming, uh, Blu-ray, all that stuff. So things change and evolve. And that's the same thing that's happening in the music industry where artists are becoming more owners of the music that they produce. Rather than being paid because contractually they owe a certain number of recordings to a record label that pays them based on a, you know, percentage fee.
0: So how is it? Would you say overall? Not to put you on the spot, but you know, hopefully I, I'm not t- putting words in your mouth. Hopefully you enjoy the actual day to day that you do. But doing it so close to something you're passionate about, do you feel that that? energizes you at times. It kind of reinvigorates your, your passion, not only for what you do professionally, but also in terms of music and collecting and so forth.
1: Yes, um, I wanna say, this is just personal. My personal opinion, I feel that if I work in a field that I feel passionate about, um, I'm more motivated and I probably perform at my best rather than doing something that my heart's not in, right? Uh there's others that may choose um, other reasons to enter a profession, sure. be it financial reward. Lifestyle, so, we've talked lifestyle, about Lifestyle, yeah. you know, suck it up. I don't care. I'm making all this money and I can afford to do this and that and send kids to school. Totally fine. Nothing wrong with that, right? Um, everyone makes their choices. Everyone has a preference. Everyone is motivated by by one thing or another. So for me, working in the music industry is motivating and rewarding because you know I get to um as much as I can um, contribute to making better music in a certain way I don't work in the music right right but you're route. part you're
0: part of you're part, right. of, the part of the process. Minutia. yep
1: mm-hmm. right. I'm part of the process I actually work on the finance side so making the deals analyzing the deals that are best for the artist and for the label of course um but yes i don't want to toot any horns but um (laughs) no i i I just want to say that you know the label that i work for um has always based um their 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 their, i don't want to say motto they've always based their business on being fair and transparent like a guiding principle right yes is their principle yeah towards the artist and i can safely say that um we are as fair and transparent as we as any label that
0: i've ever worked for in the past so
1: and i've worked for a few before
0: okay that's great well one reason uh that this conversation really spoke to me when we were talking about connecting and and having this talk is and some people know this but i mean obviously i'm kind of wearing a lot of the product but i had a, a point in my career where i worked for nike nike was always my north star I worked previously for a sporting goods company for over a decade locally, really enjoyed what I did close to a passion, an area of sports that I was really passionate about. Fast forward, or I'm sorry, rewind back right after I got out of college, I took an entry level job working for a phone company and, and I was doing it, but I just wasn't satisfied and I wasn't fulfilled. And I read a book by a guy named Poe Bronson called, what should I do with my life? There's an Oprah book, you know, and it kind of came at, came into my life at the right time. And I read a lot of folks and it was basically their stories of finding their passion and then going for it. because, you know, there's that old saying of, you know, you want to find something to do professionally where it doesn't feel like it's work for you know, exactly a better. word, Right. And, and I think that there's something to that. Right. But again, different priorities, different, you know, needs for the actual relationship. But anyway, that book found me at an interesting time because I was thinking about going back to school, getting teaching, something like that. So then read that book and I said, I'm going to really try to get into sports somehow. Fortunately, I got a job, essentially an entry-level job at a sporting goods manufacturer working in the credit department, which is just as, as bad a hearing as saying, because you know, you're, you're chasing down people who aren't paying their bills. It's not very fun, right? But a means to an end. And so from there, kind of grew it into operations. So I learned a lot of skills, but I was close to the heartbeat of what I was passionate about, right? And it's easy to take that for granted sometimes because when you're in it and you're in it for a long time, like maybe you can attest to this, uh, people on the outside are like, man, wow, you work for a label, wow, you work for a sporting goods company, whatever. That's really great. And it is, right? I have to continually remind myself like I could be doing something that's making widgets or I could be doing something like, you know, laying concrete or something. But anyway, so Nike was always my North star because I grew up loving the brand obviously a great job of marketing their products. And I grew up in, in a very rural area where getting that Nike pair of basketball shoes every year was a big deal. So long story short, I got an opportunity and I really, I was happy where I was at the sporting goods company, but I got an opportunity to work for Nike corporate for a couple of years. And it was interesting is, you know, I thought I'd made it. This is exactly what I wanted to do, who I wanted to do it with. And I found myself, kind of I would say I guess burning out to it a certain extent because I was I was just so passionate about it. And I was so I wouldn't say consumed, but I was just I wanted to do a good job so bad because this was it. I had made it. I had made the Yankees. I, you know, this was it. <laughs> and, and for me, you know, Nike delivered in a lot of ways. It fell short in a lot of ways, like like, like any company, right? Because it's a giant corporation and a lot of things I wasn't used to because I, I thought I was going to come in with the subject matter expertise and my experiences and my skills and really set the world on fire. And that's not exactly what happened. So, (laughs) but reason I'm talking about this is because I had to take my shot. I took my shot and i loved working close to my passion, but I feel for me personally, I was, it was like the story of Icarus. I flew too close to the sun and then I realized, okay, maybe that's not exactly what I need for balance in my life for, uh, S- sustaining my professional aims, that sort of thing. So when we talked and I learned that you worked in the music industry, one of the first things I thought it was, does he like it? Does he enjoy it? Does it fill his cup? Does he feel a lot of these things that I felt in my journey? So hearing all that, you've heard some of it a little bit beforehand, but hearing that, how would you relate? Do you feel, do you understand some of that, some of that angst? Do you understand, or is it a different story in a different industry like yours?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it, it's not, it's not fantastic every day, you know. There's, of course. <laughs> there's days that are more challenging. There there's days when I'll, you know, get very frustrated with the process, get never with the people. I work with a great group of people and I love that. Um, but there are days when I'm like the politics gets in the way. Like company okay. politics. Um and and I'm sure that happens everywhere, right? It of course. In every company Anywhere. you go. Yes. Right. So there, there, there's days when it's great and there's days when, you know, they're a little bit more challenging, let's call them. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, your ebb and flow. There's your very crazy busy days and then there's your, your days where it's like, okay, it's manageable. You know what I mean? But I, I can totally relate. I mean, it's uh, I. there are temptations out there where probably I wonder and think, oh, man... I could do like the same job for another company and get paid maybe almost twice as much why am i doing this (laughs) but then it's i've been on that side because i did have a brief stint where i i left the music industry and then came back and i worked for some great people great companies Mm -hmm. but also nightmare bosses Mm -hmm. and i'll be like you know Um, I don't care how much you pay for me, (laughs) maybe, uh, you know, I, I want to work with someone that I respect. That's not going to drive me crazy or, or give me like, you know, a nervous breakdown. So I guess it goes, you know, it it can go any way. I mean, as long, as long as you're happy and you find some type of enjoyment in what you do every day for like eight, nine hours, however, you know, how long it takes. Um, I think everyone
0: should find the right balance, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, and, and to be clear, like I left Nike on good terms. I obviously I'm still wear the stuff. I have a, a closet full of stuff I'll be working through for years. But, <laughs> but, I, but, but, but my time at Nike was great because, again, check the dream. It was is my dream company, and I was able to do that, and and I was able to see from the inside that, like exactly what you're saying, like uh, on a lot of levels, a job's a job, a company's a company, a corporation's a corporation, and, and to a certain extent, what you do with it is definitely part of managing expectations and that sort of thing. But, um, I still feel, and I, even after leaving that guy, I still feel that if you can work close to something that you're passionate about in some way, shape or form, it, it sure beats making widgets. It sure beats, you know, like, and again, to what we talked about before, that's no judgment on folks who work for different aims, lifestyle, no early yeah. retirement, anything I mean, like that. But, but for me, it was, it was, it's fulfilling. It was more fulfilling because it doesn't feel it, it, it helps break up the monotony to a certain extent, but also yeah. being passionate about what you're doing, like seeing people wear my product, either, even at the sporting goods company, kids would use our equipment on the fields and I would go to my son's games. And, you know, it, there was a personal pride seeing it on the shelves. Maybe, maybe you can relate. If you walk the, the record store and you see some of the stuff from your label there, like, again, what you said earlier, Even if it's a small piece, you still are part of the minutiae that brought that to market, that brought that artist to your label to put their art out into the world, right?
1: Hey, music brings happiness, right? If true, I can contribute a little piece to an artist putting out a record that's going to make someone else happy. Right? Yeah. That's how I look at it. I I at least music makes well makes me happy, makes me sad. But it it causes a reaction, an emotional reaction to me. Sure, and it fulfills me either way. Sometimes you need a good cry. So, you know what? I'll put on that record that I know eventually is going. To, you know,
0: there <laughs> we <up. laughs> I've got a lot of breakup records from because, back in the because, day. I understand. Because,
1: yeah, because a lot of time, I also look at it as a cathartic process. There's sometimes when you really need to blast the music in your. You car. need to pull the feelings like, out of you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Whether it's uh, feelings of anger of sadness or whatever right so if i can contribute a little bit by um even though i don't produce the music uh if i can contribute a little bit uh, to deliver enjoyment to someone else i'll look at it that way right
0: no that's great i appreciate that the uh before we move on to the lightning round which i know you're super excited about Ernaldo, and all the i wanted to, to since i had you since i had an insider right and I think I'm gonna call this episode collecting from the inside because uh-huh. it's a different point of view, right? And, and that's one thing I'm really interested in. And hopefully we'll have future talks where we can dig onto different topics. But one thing that's really front of mind for a lot of collectors that I know and I read it online and we hear it on YouTube is the escalating cost of the physical media vinyl. And you know, some of that's related to the supply chain interruption from COVID some of it's related to startup costs because you now you've got a lot more folks wanting to become players on the manufacturing side, be it MoFi opening their plant in Northern California, Vinyl Me Please and, and opening a plant in Colorado, et cetera. So there's a lot of that going on. But the piece that you can speak to, and as much as you can speak to it, hmm. is kind of the hidden costs. And that's, we, we talked a, a little bit about this offline, is the licensing piece because that's a piece not a lot of uh, folks think about. And and. You know, people just go to the the record store or Amazon or whatever and see that sticker shock, but sometimes they don't peel back the layers to think, and not say it's justifiable or not, but there is a reality of of cost to bring these things to market. So when it comes to licensing, how much of a part does that play into the actual end consumer price point?
1: Well, it depends on the artist, obviously. There are are certain artists and certain pieces of music that are probably more affordable than others uh we mo- most of the the deals that uh my label uh entertains are licensing deals um licensing deals for new mostly newly created music not your licensing deals like maybe uh analog productions may do when they do a um, a reissue
0: campaign or something, a reissue
1: or something. Cam- that's a different type of yes they are licensing yes but um it's only for a limited run and only for a limited period of time will enter into agreements for multiple maybe multiple albums but all of those will be structured based on a license whereas the artist retains the ownership of the masters and the deal is structured in a way so that the artist um, if recoups all the advances because artists of course are always given in advance, your startup costs for recording, or even in advance on earnings. Mm-hmm. Once those costs get recouped, and the term is over, they can decide to renew or take their masters and have someone else reissue those albums, or reissue them themselves. So, to answer your question, it all depends on the artist. There are certain artists where probably don't have a lot of setup costs, where um, they're operating on a on a on a slimmer budget. So maybe they're self-produced maybe they have their own recording studio so their recording costs will be lower and usually that comes into play will it determine how much the record costs to the in retail probably not um but let's not say directly so indirectly yes let's say we were to sign taylor swift Taylor Swift is probably going to produce a regular version, a double CD, a double LP version, maybe with an additional B-sides or whatever outtakes. Mm -hmm. Then there'll be the super deluxe um, where there's the book, there's the lipstick, there's the (laughs) car and all that other stuff. So keep in mind, those are always an added premium where whereas on the record per se or the cd the single the regular format that's just standard stuff where the labels try and recoup those initial higher costs like the advance for taylor swift let's just say <clears throat> will be okay great now we can charge them a lot more because we can add all these other items which will add to the sticker price. Yes, they do add also to you know the actual cost of the goods of okay. the manufacturing cost to yep. assemble a box with all those added components, but you have that extra premium that you can charge because it's the artist, and that's how you know it it kind of like it's transferred on to the consumer in a way, your added cost for signing your Taylor Swift you have all these other avenues and opportunities to create merchandise, to create, to monetize so that your investment in that higher, like superstar artist pays off, right? So, and then, yes, the ones that you already touched upon, paper has become more expensive. Um, <clears throat> yeah, raw, raw materials across the raw board have at become the, of, supply chains of, the time. A lot of A lot of the things that people have not realized yet are the transportation costs that have skyrocketed. And for a label like mine, most of the time, the production of, and even other labels, right, Um, all the vinyl is most likely produced, I don't want to say in one location, but there's many cases where it's only produced, say, for example, in Germany uh, at Optimal or in the Czech Republic at GZ Media. the copies that are going to stay in the European market probably, you know, will absorb the price, the actual manufacturing cost. but all that stock that has to come to the U S to be sold to the U S comes at a premium because you have to bake in also all your transportation costs and the lead times are pretty long to get albums in the production chain. So, there's times when we're pressed against deadlines, and you're paying a premium just to have stuff shipped faster instead of and that, going. And that's up. the move.
0: That's also not to cut you off, but that's also to move things up in, in the production cycle. That's also not only to, do
1: that, but also like just just the transportation. You could send it by boat, and it'll take maybe a month to come over. Or right. if you want ten air, days, air, yeah, air freight it. It's going to cost you a lot more. So all that comes into play. Yes, if there were, like, back in the 70s, all the way up until the 80s, how many pressing plants were in the United States? There, that was never an issue. You'd always right. find you could press your records locally here and press them in Europe, too. So each 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 territory would have the stock coming locally, right? Um, that's not always the case here because of the volume and the
0: scarcity of the production plants. That's always not as flexible. So knowing what you know, and I know this is just speculation, I want to be very clear with the audience. Mm-hmm but prices ascending overall to the end Mm -hmm. consumer. Do you see an avenue or a future where they actually recede and actually come back down? Or do you think this is the new normal?
1: They could come back down. Uh, You mentioned all these uh, new plants that are opening. Remember, stock that we produce in Europe um, to have shipped over to the US comes with that added transportation cost. If it becomes more affordable, to produce it here, we may think of a different price point once we calculate what our per unit manufacturing cost is. Because we always go off of that. How much is it going to cost us to produce this record, right? The unit itself, inclusive of the transportation cost. And, and that's the, also
0: a factor in cogs, right? Cost of goods sold, yeah, cost of that,
1: that, sold. Right. Yep. Right. You you will I always ask, what's the final cost? Don't just tell me the raw from the plant, like item what's the landed cost exactly the landed cost and then i i compare it to our initial estimates when i analyze the deal what was the price point that i saw the cost coming in at because based on the the initial cost and the initial price point that i've set when originally i modeled a deal uh then i may have to reevaluate oh shoot it came in a little bit higher and that's when i Talk to the sales guy and say, Hey, do you think we could sell this product? Is there is there is room, there room the market to grow? Yeah. To, to add on another dollar? Is it possible? Um, so it's it, everyone wants everybody to be happy, but everyone can't be happy all the time. What? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's times when, you know, um, the production costs allow us to have a more affordable price, you know, and other times when. Like, we just had uh, a repress. Uh, I don't know if you know the um, Danger Mouse and Karen O album that came out a few years ago called Lux Prima. It sounds familiar. I'm not intimately Totally familiar, recommend but... that album. It was one okay. of my... I know
0: Danger Mouse from the Gnarls Barkley stuff, but yeah.
1: Yeah. The initial run came at a certain cost. To have it repressed, it's like almost three times as much because everything's gone up. Mm. So, unfortunately it's going to have to be transferred to the consumer because it just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense to price. Yeah. It.
0: Businesses aren't in the, in the business of losing money. <laughs>
1: right? No, they're not.
0: <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Just, sorry. sorry audience. Sorry, buddies. I'm sorry to break it to you. But you know, as much as, as, as Arnaldo would love to keep the price points the same sometimes, unfortunately these things slide. So man, I could really talk to you for a long time on this and hopefully you'll come back and we'll, we'll be able to dig deeper into some of these things, but for the sake of time and your time also, let's get to the lightning round let's just crank out some of these jammers so as a collector as a music fan as a record collector more importantly what was your favorite or most memorable find weeks ago probably last month when i came across um
1: i don't like to use the word grail because it's very subjective on several forums um other people have said that Certain items are always considered grails. Well, it depends. It could be a grail for you, but not for me. It is very subjective, yes. So for me, I'm a big Smiths collector. I came across a piece that I had never, ever seen. I've never held a copy in my hand. (laughs) Never seen displayed at a store. Sure, sure. Um, And it was an Australian pressing of a 12-inch of um, ask with uh, an alternative cover. Um, The music, I believe, is the same, but the cover is totally different. Um, and I debated quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but I had to leave it because I, I couldn't justify the price tag on it as (laughs) rare.
0: This is is a finance guy right here. (laughs) here.
1: (laughs) So as much as I wanted it in my collection, I I couldn't bring, I I may never see that again, (laughs) you know? Unless the guy comes back to the same, because it's a recurring um, record fair. Okay. Um, so unless he sells it at another record fair, because they all kind of like do a circuit. And he comes back and it's still there and I can haggle him down to half the price.
0: That's true, uh, that's true. That's, that's what good. I
1: would realistically pay for it. That's what it's worth. I'm not, you know, it, they, they, he wasn't price ga- ga- gouging me at all. That's what it's worth. Actually, it was, if you consider that they're only available in Australia and you add the shipping costs, It was probably actually a good deal because you had it right there. You didn't have to wait for it and you didn't have to pay for shipping charges. So, yes, that is something I did not pick up, but I did find at another record fair um, an original pressing of the first Joy Division album. Okay. So that was a great find. But yesterday I also picked up a Robert Ludwig uh, Led Zeppelin two for only 35 bucks. Oh so,
0: man, come on! This is this this is a shock and awe moment. This was not pre-discussed. <laughs> I just oh. I, I
1: just got it yesterday. Oh. I can show you. I haven't listened to it yet. I visually graded it. It didn't look bad. I asked the guy to play one of the parts where it had some questionable
0: you know, appearance. Yeah,
1: visible scratches. Um, it played fine in the sense that it didn't skip. It does have some surface noise. We'll see once I clean it how it sounds. But Hey, I mean, thirty-five bucks. We'll man. see, right? Hey,
0: you, you're in for a treat. Even if it's got some crackle, as long as it doesn't have some crazy warp, or it's it's not a popcorn factory. I mean, that's a steal. Thirty-five bucks for a, a RL. Whew, good call. Um, all right. Next one. Thoughts on flipping records? You know, that is a that is a controversial uh, subject matter in certain parts of the vinyl community, particularly the folks talking about Record Store Day. You know, there's people who go and, and, and I was guilty of this too, to a certain extent, I would find some records that I personally wasn't connected to. And if they were still there, I would buy them and I would use that to supplement my cost of the records I did want. So I kind of can see a lot of different ways of this. How do you personally feel about people who flip records?
1: And I have to admit the same. There was a time when I was unemployed and I bought two copies of some so that they could pay for the one
0: one to keep one to sleep buddy uh
1: i can't i do it less and less now um i just don't have the patience anymore um and i'll let other people enjoy it you know um there are some that i may have picked up that i wasn't exactly interested in um that I still have sealed. Maybe one day I'll just like, I may put it online. Um, But there's others that I only bought for doubles that I bought only for collecting purposes, like, because I'm a fanatic sometimes (laughs) about certain artists. And I, I, you know, sometimes I was like, you know what, I really don't need to do I need every single color variant of that special pressing? I don't. But know the fan in me wanted to have every (laughs) color variant and i'm like maybe i don't need all of them maybe i could sell you know one or two off very relatable um, to a lot
0: of us out there i hear you
1: but one thing i i do i don't want to say frown upon there are people that make a business out of that
0: yes yes right yes yes Uh,
1: looking for for um the bargain and you know what more power to them if that is their business you know what i mean um, if that, if you're a record dealer and you're buying and selling, I mean, that's what you do for a living, right? That's, All right. I don't know. That's my on it. <laughs> no, Hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm there with
0: you. I, I have hey, no judgment.
1: Because the greatest flip I did was a few weeks ago that subsidized my ultrasonic cleaner. You know oh, what? That, and it was, it was actually a freebie, a f- promo freebie oh, that I got uh, years ago. Hey. So I'm like, hey, you call that a flip? No, I, I picked it up. It was free. That's one thing I'll tell you. It's a great to work for a record record label, but it's also a curse. <laughs> the amount of CDs that I had from a previous job was mm-hmm. it's it's insane. It's like they're everywhere. Um, sure. <laughs> the access to the product then becomes more of a curse because oh, I like a couple songs on that. Let me, I'll I'll, I'll get it.
0: You know what I mean? All right, final three, Arnold. We'll, we'll get in there. What's your preferred place to shop for vinyl is it online Is it going to your locals indies or record shows personally I, i'm kind of um, leaning toward the record shows nowadays what say you
1: uh i want to say online of course um because there are certain retailers that i buy from that have it's easier to buy on you know online from their websites um then Definitely love crate digging in record stores for, you know, secondhand records. I would have to say probably fairs I I like, but I get very overwhelmed. Mm, Okay. Um, That's why I prefer to go in at the beginning when there's less people, early access. Sure. uh, Where I have a little bit more time and there's not big crowds. I hate Mm -hmm. competing, not for the sake of wanting to be there first, but... Um, the fact of competing for space, just looking through the records sometimes <laughs> makes so it a turn, off. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right.
1: that. turn off. Yeah, right. That turn off. It frustrates me because then you know then there's people like reaching over and looking at, oh, you're going to get that, and I'm like, I'm still thinking about it. I, I need to do my research. Right, right. So it, yeah, that puts a, it, it it it's it has it adds a little bit more pressure and it, it takes away from the you know the, the enjoyment of record shopping which i love when it's your local record store that you know i the the few that i uh,
0: usually go to
1: where i can do it calmly
0: right you know what i mean all right last two biggest pet peeve in the hobby that you have right now some people would say how you know storage mm-hmm. records are like they put the record behind the jacket is it oh the people, no I, it, I thought i thought you meant uh, no number one is seam splits oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> I got this record today and it, it, it broke my heart because it, this is probably of the worst seam splits I've ever had. It's, I mean, uh, I, okay. I, I could do a whole show on seam splits, but. Uh.
1: Seam splits, uh, polyline sleeves. Yes. Um, I'm starting to um, join the, the, uh, the anti-box uh, movement
0: oh okay <laughs> uh, okay
1: yeah Co- the I, coalition all
0: right
1: <laughs> yeah the coalition uh i'm starting to realize that they are taking a bit more space on my shelves than i would like
0: uh, there's a guy in the water. pacific northwest who is standing up and applauding right now one or two for water two records if if Arango, if we team up maybe we can fix we can fix these wrongs hey, because I'm, it's des- this terrible i'm
1: I'm already telling the production guys, like, please make it a point that you put that 20 cent inner sleeve, polyline
0: sleeve. <laughs> Final community, we have somebody on the inside who is trying to correct this egregious paper sleeve conspiracy going on out there because it's only, like you said, 20. It's a 20 cent add on, right? I mean, for the most part, it right. it, it, that, it it just makes. Such I mean, a difference.
1: If, you're, if you're purchasing bulk. It, yeah, exactly. Especially for the ones that don't have a uh, printed inner sleeve. If you're going to spend 15 cents for the regular just white, just add another 15 and use a polyline, right? Um, but at least I made the argument, the are higher, like the box sets, the higher priced items um, that we're charging a premium, I think it's, it it would be a good industry practice if someone who's spending like $150 on a box set is not going to get a record because they care about it. Obviously, if they're of spending, course, we're not talking course. about like the $25 record where, you know, maybe someone who's not even that much of a fan is not going to care. Okay, it's got a seam split. I'm not a big, you know, geek. <laughs> but whoever's spending a significant amount of money is probably going to get annoyed if they get a record with, you know, all their records come with seam, seam splits. So, well,
0: I'm anyway, trying to I'm trade trying- – I- I'm trying to trademark this phrase. I thank you, Arnaldo. Thank you for that. Premium product, premium price, premium expectation. I think that's not a lot to ask, particularly on like you're talking about these higher price point things. It should be a no brainer, a poly sleeve, good box, ship it in a nice corrugate that has insulation, but I digress. All right, this is the last one and I know right at time, but let's just pump through it. So you've amassed a substantial music collection. God willing, you're going to be here for many, many, many more years. But when that time comes, wh- what do you think happens to your record collection? Do you try to divest yourself from it beforehand? Like some people do, they kind of wind out. that's how a lot of this comes back to market, used. Or is it something that you want to pass on to certain folks in your life? The
1: last time I moved, it was about five years ago. Uh a lot of the packing was packing up all the vinyl and making sure that it would be transported without getting damaged, even though it was only going like a few blocks. Uh, and it was kind of stressful to do that and very time consuming. And I told my partner, the next time we're moving is to retire <laughs> and we're just moving with suitcases. Wow. So I think by then I I don't know if I <laughs> if I could move all the vital that I've amassed again.
0: Okay. Um
1: so that's to hoping we'd stay in this current location for quite a bit. Um and I can enjoy it to the fullest. Um I don't know if, if I'd ever get rid of everything. Of course. But my my Beatles, my Smiths, um, my Bowie probably Will survive till the, the end.
0: Till the end. Yep. We'll,
1: we'll we'll survive the booth, yes.
0: <laughs> wow. Well that's that's a good answer. I will say breaking news that you heard it here first, buddies. fidelio's frequency minimalist is a new channel that's going to be coming online <laughs> in about five, <laughs> ten, maybe twenty years, but at some point it's coming online. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I enjoyed the chat, Arnaldo. Thank you again for making the time. I hope we can connect again and kind of dig deeper into some of these things. I call it the inside baseball stuff that you and I have talked offline about that I really felt fascinating. But thanks for the time. Again, the channel is Fidelio's Frequency. Ronaldo, thanks for joining me.
1: It was great being here. Thanks for having me. And that was another trip around
0: the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.